Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. You know, this year, I don't know about how, how it's been going for you, but this year has been probably one of the most exciting starts to the year that, that I've had personally. And uh, it's been really exciting. January has been really productive. Um, Beck and I have had the opportunity to really um, dig deep into what God is showing um, to us this year and, and what He wants to do uh, through this church and in our lives personally. And so it's super, super exciting. And over the next few weeks, um, in the month of February, we're going to be doing a vision series. Um, so next week, I share uh, particularly um, a bit of the nuts and bolts behind what's going to be happening this year. And then back the following week, will, um, as she always does, bring a lot of heart behind why we're doing what we're doing as well. And, and then from there, we'll continue to, uh, to talk about different aspects of Lyft. So it's a really great series. If you want to know a bit more about Lyft, if, you want to, if you've got friends or family that are looking for a, a church family to be a part of, this is actually a great opportunity to find out about what Lyft is like and what we are going to be doing this year. So so that's over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Vision Sunday. Vision Sundays. I'm excited. And so is Beck. And a couple of other people throw it in. There we go. There we go. There we go. So yeah. Anyway, with all the exciting things that we plan every year, I, I, don't, I think most people start off any brand new year feeling really excited and feeling really um, uh, enthusiastic about what they're going to see in the year. You, you start off with certain projects in mind um, and, and, and you write them down. Maybe you got, you're one of those that likes resolutions or, or maybe it's just for you. It's like this year I'm going to work on uh, some kind of home reno project. And I don't know if you've ever, ever experienced this, but you kind of think January is slide into the year month. And so you tell yourself, I'm going to start on that project in February. Well, we're at the end of January. In a couple of days, it's February. And we all know that we're still not ready to quite do anything about that project. So Feb comes and goes, and you kind of justify it by saying, that project needed my full attention. And in Feb, I'm not giving my best, so I'm going to put that off. And so March comes, and March goes, and soon is November, and the project hasn't started, and you think that it might be a project for the new year. Anyone been there before? Yes. And, and there's the other thing that I realized that many of us actually do is that at one stage, it was a project that was exciting and doable, but at some stage when you hadn't managed to get onto that project, it becomes the bane of your existence. And then after a while, it becomes a part of your identity that you will never be able to do that thing. Anyone been there before? Let me tell you an example. Beck and I, before we got married, we were really excited to have a house. And in particular, we were really excited to have a garden. And a part of the garden is that our house has like this little patch um, that would be perfect for a veggie patch or a herb garden. And so before we were married, we, we were thinking about it. It's like, yeah, let's do something like that. That would be really cool. And um, you, we never got around it, quite got around to doing anything about it. And so we kind of left it. And um, time went on and people started to give us gifts of plants. Um, and so we got a couple of little potted herbs that you're supposed to plant and water. Uh, well, they died. And then um, <laughs> someone gave us a blueberry shrub. Now, you've got to understand that blueberries are one of Beck's favorite fruits. 
And, and the shrub was really about that big. So probably in a couple of years, it would start to fruit and start to do cool stuff. Um, well, that died as well. And soon gardening became, and it, it, didn't, it didn't die because we, um, we, we cared for it, but it still died. But we, it died because we didn't get around to doing anything about it. And soon after that, it became such an annoying, the garden is just a part of our house that is just so annoying. It, you know, it's, it's the bane of our existence. When we were trying to sell our house last year, our lawns were all brown. And, and, and we just like, oh my gosh, you, you saw the pictures of a house and it was a like, beautiful house, brown lawn. And it was terrible. But at some stage, I don't know when, because we've only been married for four years, but somewhere in the four years, we have decided that we are bad at gardening. Anyone got that, that, that part of your life that you're like, I'm bad at that. But really, you were just lazy. Or really, you just never really got around to doing it. But now you've got this excuse. You, it is part of your identity. I am bad at gardening. So when anyone tells me about gardening stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? That's for you. It's not for me. I'm not that way inclined. Uh, another part of my life that probably is slightly more damaging that this kind of worked out was... Um, was in Singapore growing up, English was uh, part of our, uh, it, it was a compulsory uh, subject that we had to do, but we also had to learn uh, what was called mother tongue, the, your mother tongue language, which is really strange. I know in Australia, it's like, what is mother tongue? It's like, why do you do a subject on mother tongue? But it just means what your mother speaks. And my mom never really uses Mandarin, but I, took Man I had to take Mandarin anyway. I didn't have a choice in it. And so I had these two languages, and English was a language I was really good at. But Mandarin was terrible for me, but it wasn't always like that. Because I was actually doing okay. I wasn't great at it, but I wasn't bad at it either. But at some stage, I think I was probably nine or ten, and I did this exam, because in Singapore, you start exams at the age of six, uh, I think, probably. I think so. I think that's what happens. Um, uh, I, I blocked out that part of my life completely. It's traumatic. I'm still working through it a little bit. Uh, but uh, I was nine or ten, and I was doing this exam, and it was one of those multiple choice um, sheets that you had to shade in. Um, and, and I shaded in one question off, as in, like, I lost track, and I missed out a whole question. And I found out that I did that way too late to actually change much of it at all. I ended up getting the score back. I basically just passed. I probably lost about 15 marks of my grade because of that mistake. So it wasn't an indication of how bad I am at the language. It was more an indication of uh, my callousness in doing that exam. But looking back and reflecting on my life, that one exam set me up to fail in that language. I don't know what it was, but in that tender age, maybe I was just putting on too much pressure on myself the next time uh, my Mandarin exam came by because I just didn't do well at it. And for uh, the rest of my life, I barely passed my, my Chinese exams. I even had a teacher from China uh, who, who somehow decided that she wanted to teach in Singapore and she was teaching Chinese. I had extra lessons um, with everyone else in Singapore that uh, didn't know good Chinese, which is like five of us. And, and um, we had all these extra lessons, but I never, never got better um, than probably about 55 or below. Uh, I was probably around a 51, 52% mark. It was, it was it's one of those things that I, I was not very good at. And... 
the interesting thing is that I academically was bad at Mandarin, and also when I speak Mandarin, you don't want to hear me speak Mandarin. I don't want to hear me speak Mandarin. But somehow it became, I'm bad at Mandarin to I'm bad at language. I don't know when it happened, but maybe you've heard me say in conversation with you that I don't do languages. Now, I've been on mission trips. I've been to Indonesia. I've been to Taiwan. Taiwan is a Mandarin thing again. Um, but I, I, I just like, oh, man, I'm just so bad at language. Somehow, it became a part of my identity that I'm bad at that thing. And, and I realized, looking over my life, that I can't be that bad at languages. Because when I first came to Perth, um, and I went for my interview uh, for, for Rossmore Senior High, uh, the vice principal was sitting there, and he actually offered for me to do English as a second language. Whereas my sister could get into the English literature class. We were related. It's not like I was adopted, maybe. No, no, no. Pretty sure we're related by blood. But my sister got into the English lit class and the vice principal was looking at me and said, do you want to do English as a second language? English, maybe, when I first got here, didn't sound very Australian. And if you go to Singapore and you bring a full-on Australian accent, they won't understand you. It is actually a very tough accent to pick up when you're Singaporean. But now, I've heard multiple people tell me that I sound like an Australian. If I uh, called you on the phone, you would not know that there's a Singaporean-born person speaking to you. You would be thinking as an Australian fella. And... And I've picked up this language, so maybe I am not that bad at languages. But I think it's really interesting how our lives actually evolve in this way. Because I start to see and learn that many of us don't really think about how we got to where we got. And we end up living out of something that I'm going to call a default mode. Because of our experiences, because of things that happen to us, we actually live out of a default setting in our lives rather than actually reflect and think, is this really who I am and who I want to be? In my life, probably the saddest story of the three, I grew up pretty shy and not really good at talking to people. Um, I had an introverted personality Many people, when I say that, they, they laugh, they think it's hilarious that um, I would think that about myself, but it's absolutely true, you can ask my parents. I, I was an introverted person, and, and I realized, looking back at my life, that I actually took on that introverted personality, and it became a default mode in my life. So much so that I was building my personality and my identity around something that I was very comfortable with. And a part of that was how I treated friends. In fact, I didn't think that I needed friends. I thought that I could do life without friends. And when I look back at my life, I'm wondering how many people I pushed away who actually made such an effort to get to know me, who made such an effort to befriend me, made such an effort to get into my life, but I simply shut them down. And so many of them turned away because... It's just too hard. That guy's just too introverted. That guy's just too happy by himself. And, and I look back at that, and, and I know that God's taken me on a journey. And I can see the journey that God has got me on. 
And it's not been a simple journey, and I'm pretty much still on that journey of learning how to be vulnerable, how to have friendships that are, that are good and, and healthy and all that kind of stuff. But this is what I learned. We either live deliberately or we will live by default. We either live intentionally chasing after the things that we want to be or that God has called us to, or we will end up simply living out of our default position. And something, maybe another way to put it is this. We either learn how to reflect on our lives and think about where we are going, or we will end up simply living out of simple shortcut reactions to our life. The choice is ours, whether we choose to reflect or we choose to react. The Bible puts it in this way in Proverbs 14 verse 8. He says, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the, but the folly of fools is deceiving. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way. Now, this is not a verse that you would see plastered anywhere in our culture. Our culture tells us to react because to react is to be you, is to act out of who you are truly. But that is not the case. The Bible tells us that to simply react to life is to be living in folly, is to be deceiving yourself. But if you actually want to do something with your life, if you have started a project this year that you want to see fully activated, and if you want to have a life of achievement and of success, then you need to live your life deliberately. You will need to think about where you are going. In the Bible, there's this really interesting story uh, of a man named Jonah. Many of us would have heard the story of Jonah and the whale or the big fish. Um, but before Jonah got into that fish, he was actually a pretty successful man. See, what, what was going on, and you can read about this at, at, um, uh, in, 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 I think it's Two Kings. It, it has a quick reference to this, but what Bible scholars found out is that um, Jonah was actually a prophet living in Israel. And Israel was not a good place at that time. Israel had a lot of idolatry, a lot of sinful uh, practices that they, were, that, that, that they were doing. And so many prophets were actually saying to the Israelites, turn or burn, basically. That was the message that they were bringing. You either turn back to God or there's going to be judgment, so on and so forth. But for Jonah, God gave him a special message. God gave him a message of grace. God gave him a message of expansion. So Jonah actually prophesied that over the kingdom, while under the reign of a somewhat evil king, uh, King Jeroboam II, that they will actually experience expansion. And the thing is that they actually experienced that. And so because of that, many Bible scholars uh, make some educated guesses that Jonah was probably a man that the king liked. Because kings don't like people telling them what they can't do. But kings like people telling them that you're going to see success, yeah? And so Jonah probably received um, special favor and special uh, remuneration for his uh, favorable prophecy, shall we say. So this guy was probably experiencing peace. He was probably experiencing um, a good life in Israel. But then after that, God calls him to a place called Nineveh. 
and he goes to Nineveh, and here's the crazy thing. This is why I say Jonah is one of the most successful Old Testament prophets of all time. Well, Old Testament's kind of done, so uh, of, yeah, he was one of the best, most successful Old Testament prophets. Because God called him to a city, which at that time was a mega city of 120,000 people. This is about 700 years before Jesus' time, 700 B.C., 120,000 strong city. It's a mega city. God calls Jonah to preach a message of repentance to the Ninevites. He preaches a one-line message, which is 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's his message. Well done, Jonah. You could have thought a little bit more about your message, couldn't you? No, that's the message God gave him. But because he spoke that one-line message, 120,000 people turned to God. Do you know what I would do to be able to preach a one-line message and have you guys all repent? (laughs) I preach about... 300 lines every Sunday, if not more. And if I'm lucky, I'll have half a person respond to the message. (laughs) I want to be Jonah. I want that calling from God to be able to say, 40 days from now, you are going to hell. And then you go, oh, really? I need this God that you're talking about. This was a successful man. He did stuff with amazing success. But when you look into his actual story, it's a really interesting story. It's only four chapters long. I would suggest you go home, you read it yourself and unpack what God is saying through this amazing story. But the interesting thing is that Jonah is actually characterized as a hard-hearted, a reactive, emotional man. When God calls him to go to Nineveh, We read his response in Jonah 1 verse 3, and it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he, sorry, this is like a tongue twister for me. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. If you think about this, this is one of the most interesting statements made in the Bible. The prophet of the Lord, who has made a living hearing clearly from God, and then declaring the will of God, and seeing the will of God happen, is now trying to run from the presence of this all-knowing God. Good one, Jonah. He was actually willing to leave everything he had done in reaction to this new call of God that was on his life. He was willing to leave that all behind and to go in the opposite direction towards Tarshish. And it's a little bit hard to understand why Jonah would have done that unless you understand who the Ninevites were. You see, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was one of the most bloodthirsty nations on the face of the planet in that time. So much so that in the Bible itself, it says that Nineveh is the bloody city. 
the bloody city, full of lies and plunder. And that wasn't a swear word. It was more of a literal thing, a bloody city. Um, it was saying that the people there were so bloodthirsty. They were so fierce and cruel and, 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 and so incapable of empathy, incapable of sympathy, incapable of moral thought. Their blood just flowed from the city. The Assyrians made it uh, their, their one goal to conquer all of their neighbors, which included Israel. And so they would uh, uh, come through. History tells us that the Assyrians would come through, and when they uh, found a village of people, they would completely rape kill, slaughter, pillage the whole town without remorse, without even thinking about what they were doing. Women, children, they were all cut down by the Assyrians. And it stands to reason that Jonah would have personally either seen or known someone that fell under the acts of the Assyrians. Can you imagine having to bring a message of repentance to the people that possibly raped your kin, killed your brothers, completely without remorse. That was what Jonah was faced with. And faced with that, he reacted to what God was telling him to do, and he chose to go the other way. Now, I used to think that Tarshish was just simply geometrically, geographically, Geographically, let's go with that one. Geographically in the opposite direction to Nineveh. And it is true, but there's something else about Tarshish that I learned a little while ago um, that kind of sheds a new light into what was going on. In 1 Kings 10 verse 22, we read this. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Yes, apes and peacocks. I don't know why, but they brought monkeys and birds, as well as gold, silver, ivory. Well, the thing about Tarshish is that it was actually a really significant trading hub. It was a nation that was, uh, sorry, it was a city that was actually extremely wealthy. It was, if you wanted to characterize it, it was probably the place that you could go after the American dream. Not that America existed then. So you probably had the Tarshish dream back in those days. It was an exotic land. It was filled with different goods. It was filled with opportunity. And so when I realized what Tarshish was, it showed me what Jonah was actually doing. Jonah reacted to the call of God by fleeing to Tarshish where he thought he could make a life without God. He wasn't simply running from the call of God. He was willing to start a new life without God. Tarshish represents a place where Jonah could be in control of his own life and his own destiny. And this is something that God began to open up in my heart. When I live according to my reactions, my reactions always take me to Tarshish. It always takes me to a place where I can remain in control. It always takes me to a place where I can do what is more comfortable. It always takes me to a place where I can keep those emotions that I was feeling and the way of living that always was. 
And that's what happens when we live out of our reactions. You see, when I was living, I told you about the whole introvertedness thing. Being an introvert was more comfortable. Not needing to open up to people was far more comfortable. Being able to control who was in my life and who wasn't was far more appealing than getting hurt by people who always do things to hurt us. It was far more easy for me to build a silo around my life than for me to risk being hurt. For me, my introvertedness was my Tarshish. But the other thing about that Tarshish that I learned is that it always ends up being a mirage. It always ends up over-promising and under-delivering. It always brings us to a place of loneliness and solitude. Because if you want to be in control of your life, you will never learn how to trust. You will never learn how to open up. You will never experience joy the way that God had intended for you. You will never experience the fulfillment of the deepest dreams and desires that you have because those dreams and desires are always attached to the call of God on your life. You will always be searching and never finding. Tarshish tells you that things are going to be okay, but Tarshish ends up enslaving you. That's something that I found in my life. I'm not saying that introversion is a bad thing. I'm still an introvert. It's just that I learned that my introversion is not going to define who I am. I learned that my introversion is going to serve me and serve what God has called me to do in my life. My introversion isn't a crutch that I hold. My introversion isn't a handicap that I have. My introversion is simply something that God is going to use. And so with God's telling me to open up and to be friendly with someone, stuff the introversion, that is not going to hold me back. I'm not going to go back to Tarshish. I'm going to go to Nineveh because that's where God's calling me to. And that's where the fulfillment of my dreams and my destiny is going to be. I'm wondering what is your Tarshish? Is it some friends that you made when you were a toddler that is more comfortable for you to spend time with than for you to move on because you actually realize that they're drop kicks and useless in your life? Or is it your business? Is it something that you can control? You can control the spending, you can control uh, this and that, and, and so it's easier to do that rather than to pursue what God's really put on your heart, and you're scared about the dream that God's put on your heart because it's actually going to take sacrifice. But for many of us, Tashish is more to do with who we say we are. I'm too shy for that. I'm too emotional for that. I'm too depressed to change. I'm too anxious about everything. You hold on to your Tarshish, you will miss the boat. In Jonah's life, it was really interesting because God actually put in a moment of divine intervention into his life. 
the divine intervention came in the form of a storm. While he was on that boat, a storm whipped up, so much so that the sailors were actually so scared that they were going to die. And so somehow Jonah plucks up the courage to say, this is God's punishment because of my disobedience. The prophet still could understand what God was trying to do. It's really interesting. And so it says, throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And so they did. <laughs> I didn't think that that was funny, but okay, it is. <laughs> they wanted to save their life. They were going to Tarshish. And in that moment, Jonah has a whale of a time. <laughs> that was a good one. That was when you are supposed to laugh and you did. So thank you, guys. And this big fish comes and swallows him whole. And in Jonah chapter 2, you can read about this prayer that, that he says, which shows that he actually stopped to think. I think why God put him in there for three days was because he couldn't do anything about where he was going in those three days. He was in the, in the belly of a fish. There was nowhere for him to go. And so it caused him to stop and to think. Now, many of you are, are, are hearing this and you're like, man, how do I change? I don't want to be in Tarshish anymore. I want to live out what God has put in my life. What do I have to do? Step one, stop and think and reflect. Stop just reacting to life and trying to do things. Just have a moment and say, God, I'm trying to understand this. This doesn't make any sense to me. This is just so confusing. Why is it that you would call me to go to a nation of people that slaughtered and killed my people? Why is it that you're wanting to show mercy to them? Jonah was crying out to God, but at some stage, there was a pin drop moment where he actually starts to see clearly what God God was trying to do. Your reactions will never help you to see what God's trying to do. Only reflection can help you to see the finger, the hand of God upon your life. And Jonah says this prayer, and through this prayer you could see that he asked the sailors to toss him overboard because he thought that that was going to be punishment. But really he realized that being thrown overboard was God's way of bringing salvation. Some of you are reacting to difficult circumstances in your life as though it is the worst thing that's happened to you. The truth is, if you actually had a moment to reflect, it is the best flipping thing that is happening to you right now. It is stopping you from going to a place where you are comfortable but you are small. It's stopping you from going to a place where you will never grow. It's stopping you from going to a place where the fulfillment of your purpose and destiny is never to be found. That storm, that, 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 that fish was God's way of having Jonah for a few moments and saying, I'm doing something in your life, son. I'm making something out of this. And I want you to be a part of it. Jonah finishes off the prayer with this line. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In other words, he was saying, there's no other place I'd rather be than with my God. 
You can read this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. He says that in the midst of all of this that's going on, I realize that the hope of steadfast love is only found in my God. Have you got to a place where you trust God? Have you got to a place where God, what He's doing in your life is actually all that you're really searching for? Are you in a place where you're willing to let go of control, willing to let go of your tashish and holding on to God as much as things don't make sense all the time, as much as things sometimes grate against us and our emotions and choosing not to react, but choosing to reflect and to still see that God is sovereign. If you haven't got to that place, then this year's year that you start to practice that reflection. See, Proverbs 16 verse 2 says this, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Desire without knowledge, desire without understanding, desire without discernment, desire without reflection is not good. Some of you have actually got into terrible situations because you are following your desires without understanding. I know I have. And the truth of the matter is that I'm not standing here as a person who has completely abandoned Tarshish. I stand here as a person who knows that Tarshish is still a part of my life. And that's why I still need to reflect and I still need to think, God, what are you gracing me for? What is this journey that you've got me on? Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it really hurts. Sometimes it feels like God doesn't make any sense whatsoever, like what it was like for Jonah. But I'm learning that Tashish is a cruel place. And Nineveh, which on the surface level looks like that cruel place, is a place of the fulfillment of what God wants to do in my life. That's how Jonah could say a one-line message and see 120,000 people saved. I believe that there's potential in this room to change the landscape of our world. Our world is full of backbiting, full of anger, full of hatred, full of intolerance. But in this room, there are people who could speak one sentence and bring about a kingdom change. But that can't happen as long as you are headed to Tarshish. That can't happen as long as you are going in the opposite direction to what God is actually trying to do in your life. Can we get the band up this morning? Right from the start of our prayer meeting today, I really sense that God's wanting to do something significant. The truth is, all of us, by default, are chasing Tashish. All of us are. It's the great American dream, the great Australian dream, the great dream. But it is simply that. It's just a something in our imagination. And a big part of what God was trying to do in our lives is to help us to see 
that the things that he's calling us to is not punishment. The things that he's calling us to is not about fairness or unfairness, but it's about eternal life. It's about the accomplishment of what he's actually trying to do in your life. You know, when I, 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 I feel like I received a call of God to, to be a pastor when I was at the age 18 and I was still quite young. And for me, thinking about being a pastor was actually me needing to let go of other dreams and aspirations. It meant that I had to choose certain options. It meant that I had to say no to certain things. It meant that I had to say no to certain desires in order that I could pursue the call of God on my life. And that's the same with every single person. Not all of you are going to be called to do what I do. Some of you are called to be amazing teachers. Some of you are called to be amazing business people. Some of you are called to be amazing parents. Well, I hope that every pe person that becomes a parent is called to be an amazing parent. But in the process of reaching that stuff, there's always going to be sacrifice. But what God is helping us to see is that with Him, it's going to be okay. With Him, even though things look impossible, it's going to be okay. See, with God, it's not so much about whether He judges you or not. But really, it's about whether you choose Him or not. It's whether I decide, God, I'm going to put you first. It's not so much about whether you've earned His respect or whether you've earned anything that He's giving to you. But it's about whether you're accepting Him into your heart. I love that the Bible says that God proved His love for us by giving His life while we were sinners. In fact, Even before we could do anything about our sin, about our sin nature, Christ died for us. When I choose God, it's not so much about trying to earn anything from Him or whether I've done enough or not. Choosing God is easy when you remember that He chose me first, that He's the one that pursued me first that He's the one that came after me first. He knew that I was going to have baggage. He knew that my heart would be inclined towards Tarshish for many years. He knew that I would constantly choose what is more comfortable rather than choose what is right. But He still loved me. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to this Jesus. If you've not met this Jesus before, if you've not heard about this Jesus before, my prayer is that you make Jesus the most important focal point of your whole existence, because that's going to change everything. Nothing else is going to bring the satisfaction that a relationship with Jesus Christ will. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.